Thanks for listening to the GOSH podcast. GOSH stands for the Gynecologic Oncology Sharing Hub, an open space for real and evidence-based discussions on gynecologic cancers. We'll share the stories of gyne cancer patients and survivors and hear from researchers and clinicians who are working behind the scenes to improve the lives of people with gynecologic cancers. Our podcast is produced and recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. It is produced by the Gynecologic Cancer Initiative, a province-wide initiative in British Columbia with the mission to accelerate transformative research and translational practice on the prevention, detection, treatment, and survivorship of gynecologic cancers. Hi, I'm Nicole Kay. And I'm Stephanie Lamb. And you're listening to the GOSH Podcast. The GOSH Podcast presents a three-part series to celebrate the Conquering Cancer campaign. Conquering Cancer is a global social impact communications initiative designed to celebrate the efforts made to eliminate cervical cancer around the world. While cancers are a leading cause of death worldwide, a global movement is building to put cervical cancer in the history books. The aim of the Conquering Cancer campaign is to propel change by supporting the World Health Organization's cervical cancer elimination targets through a three-pronged approach of vaccination, screening, and treatment. In this three-part series, we interview three important women behind this campaign. Dr. Marianne Seville, Executive Director of the Australian Centre for the Prevention of Cervical Cancer, Sue Collins, filmmaker behind Conquering Cancer, and Kirsty Brown, a cervical cancer survivor and patient advocate. Through the Conquering Cancer campaign, these three women are seeking to raise awareness about the prevention and elimination of cervical cancer and how, by implementing vaccination, screening and treatment, it is entirely possible and will save the lives of an estimated 62 million people around the world. Welcome back to the GOSH podcast. Today we have Kirsty Brown, a cervical cancer survivor and patient advocate joining us today on the podcast. Kirsty was only 26 when her world was turned inside out overnight. She was um, completing the final year of her pharmacy degree and studying hard for the pharmaceutical intern exam when she was told that she had a rare type of cervical cancer. After the diagnosis, Kirsty says her brain went into fight or flight mode. She forced herself to juggle treatment, study, work, and egg freezing to preserve her future fertility. Kirsty's treatment was radical. To avoid a complete hysterectomy, her doctors recommended a surgery known as a trachelectomy, which involved removing her cervix and surrounding structures, including the lower part of her uterus. It was an invasive surgery, but it worked. Kirsty has now been cervical cancer free for more than five years. Today, she has a rewarding corporate pharmaceutical career and is a loving wife and a devoted mom to a young son named Baxter. Kirsty, can you tell us a little bit about your cancer journey? You know, how did you find out? Um, what was your treatment like? You know, how was that process for you? Um. Sure. I So I was actually um, really lucky to get diagnosed. I was 26 um, and I just went to my general practitioner. I actually went to go and get the pill and I asked for a screening test just randomly. Um, so I was actually really lucky um, to get diagnosed um, at 26. I had no symptoms at all. Um, and then for me, 
Um, there were a few different treatment options um, available all the way from full hysterectomy and, um, um, and different types of uh, radio through to um, just doing a cone biopsy. So I was really lucky. I actually had a Canadian oncologist who was in Australia at the time. Um, and we basically, um, we basically did a few different things and I was able to just have surgery um, to remove um, the cancer and remove a lot of different parts um, of uh, tissue that were uh, potentially cancerous. Um, but that meant that I was very unlikely to have a baby. I ended up being able to have a baby, which was absolutely amazing. And I really thank my oncology team for helping me. Um, but I know that I was really, really lucky. Um, I, it was picked up early. It was an aggressive form and I had a fantastic team. So these were all all really parts of a happy story, but um, it's not always, not, everybody's not always as lucky. So the surgery was, I'm guessing it wasn't a hysterectomy then. So did you have um, radical trachelectomy, which is the removal I, of the cervix? I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do have that one. It's not something that I, uh, that I talk about a lot, but I can hear that um, you know about it. And I think it's becoming more and more mm -hmm. uh, routine, which is fantastic because I think for a long time, um, if you did have aggressive or advanced cancer like myself, mm -hmm. um, the only option was hysterectomy, which was really devastating for young women um, because you had to deal with both the cancer and the concept of an infertile future, which was sort of a real double whammy for me as I worked in uh, fertility or IVF at the time. So for you being, you know, 26, it's quite young. Um, what would you say, you know, I think it's a shock to anyone when they hear that diagnosis. Um, but for you as a young person, um, you know, what were the biggest things that that concerned you or, or the impacts that you felt when you heard those, you have cancer words? It's just disbelief. I, I mean, you, you think cancer is for older people. You think cancer is for your grandma. Um, you know, or, you know, it's, it's the usual thing. You just don't think it will happen to you. Um, and then, as I said before, the concept of uh, the cancer and the treatment and having to go through everything was, was one thing, but then also this concept for a woman of, of um, your fertility being in the balance as well, I think um, made it, made it just so much harder. And I think that even after sort of the cancer, the fertility, um, or sort of infertility issues that you deal with for years to come are also a huge, huge, huge part um, of uh, a lot of female cancers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So for you, now that you've moved through that treatment phase, what has life after cancer been like? It's been amazing uh, for me. I think that as a lucky, as somebody that was quite lucky in, in, in my diagnosis and my team, um, I've just, it's been, I've been able to have a baby, which was just unheard of. It was the first in Australia after that surgery and treatment. Um, so because of that, I've really enjoyed um, getting out there and telling my story and, and hoping that um, if other girls um, go and get tested and, and um, increase their chance of early detection, um, that hopefully everybody can be as lucky as me because um, I, I know that there were lots of other women who I know and other women just before me that basically had to go through much harsher treatments. Um, and I have a four-year-old little boy who's amazing and a little 
miracle baby um and it was amazing to have a baby uh uh, in an oncology high-risk uh, team. He said he hadn't delivered a baby since uh, since his medical training. So it was just amazing. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, Kirsty, I am a little bit curious. What compelled you to ask for that um, screening when you went in to see your GP? Um, I actually have a, um, a, a medical or scientific background. I was working in um, IVF uh, just before or fertility um, and I was starting to become a pharmacist. So because of that, I think I was very aware of um, health programs and of um, sort of screening programs. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought I'm probably not coming back to the doctor for a while. Um, I, I should just get it done now while I'm here. Um, so it was a bit of luck, but I think that people being aware, podcasts like this, talking about it is so important. And every day, just before I had this call with you guys, I said to my friend, oh, I'm recording this podcast. And my friend said to me, oh, God, I'm due. So what we need to do is just make sure that everyone's talking about it. Are you due? Um, because uh, sometimes it's hard to remember, but it was pure luck that day. But if it's on your mind, you're much more likely yeah, to book it in and get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Were you consistent with doing your screening? I'm not sure what the program looks like in Australia, but it was, was it something that, you know, you were pretty good about? After I had an, uh, an abnormal pap smear, I was really good about it. And I think most people are, but I think that it's those girls like everyone before those girls and women who've never had an abnormal pap smear or haven't heard of somebody that they know. And when you're younger, you, you, you haven't, um, they're the ones that are probably less uh, consistent. And I, I probably wasn't very consistent when I was younger because there's lots of other things to think about. Yeah, it's easy to put off um, when you've got nothing to worry about, for sure. Um, so based on the journey that you've been through, uh, what would you tell our listeners who are currently on a journey with cervical cancer? Um, I do a lot of support work um, and I think the two things that are really, really important, uh, first of all, um, it does end. Nobody wants to hear that, but there are different phases and be in the phase that you're in. If you're angry, be angry. If you're upset, be upset. Find people to talk to who understand um, and there's no need to be strong. Everybody talks about being strong. Being strong can fuff, go away, be upset, cry, um, <laughs> Don't eat ice cream till you feel sick. Be in the phase that you're in. It's totally fine and it's really important to do that. Um, my second bit of advice is the complete opposite. Um, have cancer-free time. Have time or days or whole weekends where you don't think about it and you don't talk about it so it doesn't become who you are. So get upset, eat ice cream with a friend, talk about it for two hours and then have a break so it doesn't define you. Um, and if and when you're ready, talk about it as much as possible in terms of advocating for other people to get tested because I have helped several people and I've actually now had two or three people come to me and and I've basically been that been that person that got them to go and get a get a test so be in the moment when you need to have cancer free time with your friends and family so you're not talking about it all the time and then um, you will get to a stage uh, where you're ready to encourage and help other people. 
Yeah, I love that. I know it takes, it, it can take a bit of time to get there, but some of the women we've had come on the podcast who are now talking about it and sharing their journey have also found that aspect to be not only rewarding because they're helping other women, um, but a bit therapeutic for them to have that space and that outlet to talk about it and share. So I do think, you know, once you can get to that place, there's, there's that double, double value um, that takes place. Absolutely. But I think the one thing that gets skipped over in all cancers and all conditions and all things is that ability to be in the moment, be angry, mm -hmm. be upset. Um, and this championing of um, resilience, sort of being quiet or being strong. Um, and that's not necessarily the best thing. Um, sometimes being allowed to be upset is so, so important and finding somebody who you can, who will just listen to you be upset because sometimes you just want to be upset about mm -hmm. it. Um, it is unfair. That's okay. It's okay to think it's unfair. Why are you? It's totally okay to think that. You don't need to be strong. I think that's, we need to stop telling women to be strong. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, I agree with you. What is one thing that you would want to share with, you know, the general public who might be listening to this, who could be at risk for cervical cancer? I think women are multitasking octopus geniuses. We are balancing <laughs> a million things. We've got to get our hair, our outfit. We've got a date tomorrow night. We've got a baby. Come on, guys. It's not hard. You go to a, a gym class that's probably far more uh, difficult to endure and organize sometimes than getting your pap test done. Book a pap test in when you book your nails in, get it done. It's not hard. It's not that uncomfortable. Um, and if you find that it's uncomfortable, you're probably not at a good clinic. Talk to a friend, say, hey, where do you get your pap tests done? Um, talk to the clinic, say, hey, is there someone here that's particularly good um, or, or comfortable doing pap tests? Get it done and then high five your friends, talk about it and celebrate. Um, it's something we should be talking about. Um, in Australia, skin cancer is something we talk about a lot, getting checked. And we've started shaming each other now for putting ourselves at risk. So in Australia, when people are sunbaking, we're like, hey, hey, like that's not cool anymore. Um, so the same with pap tests. People go, oh, I haven't gone. Say, go here, give me your phone. I'll book, you know, I'll, I'll book it in for you. Um, I think it's a conversation um, that we need to have instead of, oh, I hate it. It's so uncomfortable. Um, as women, I think that we, uh, we, we can encourage each other to be better and talk about it a lot more. I did have a um, kind of an off bar conversation. Uh, point um and this might be for both you Kirsty and nicole we um as part of the gci we also have a number of providers um healthcare providers who do listen to these podcast episodes so you talked a little bit about how you know these getting your pap smear should be comfortable you should feel patients should be feeling comfortable with you know the procedure that's happening um from your experience, are there a, a couple of things that you think that some providers do that make the experience more comfortable um, that has really kind of been, um, been really important to you when finding a provider who provides that comfort and safety for you? Look, I think it, um, I think it differs for different people, right? I'm a get it done type of person. Some people really want to go to a female doctor. Some people really want to go to a doctor who's done 50,000 pap smears. So whatever's going to make you comfortable, take your mom, take your friend, go to someone that does pap smears all day, every day, find out what's going to be important to you 
um, and then get that done. So I think for for different, it's it's less it's less on the provider side, and I think it's more on the side of the person getting tested. Um, to decide if you go to a terrible dentist and you walk out of there and it was awful you don't go oh god i'm never going to go back to a dentist you go god i might find a different dentist um and so at the end of the day i think that it's about you know maybe uh talking about times of the month that are that are better to go um or um you know if you're feeling really stressed at work don't go maybe book some time before and after Book yourself a manicure as a reward. Um, I think it's about us as women. We're really good at this. Thursday night is tan night. We're planning ahead, you know. Um, we're really good at rewarding ourselves with a handbag when we when we think we deserve it. Reward yourself for doing what you should be doing. And I think the onus is really uh, on, on women to be planning uh, around this. And I think what providers can do is just make sure they're offering information and just all the usual stuff about um, making women feel comfortable, explaining things, explaining the benefits. And um, I think that, you know, uh, sort of congratulating and, and, and rewarding women verbally is, you know, well done for booking, um, you know, anything that can make it easier to book, anything that can remind, um, anything that can encourage sisterhood, I think is, 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 is a nice, uh, is a really nice way to to sort of encourage women to look after themselves a bit more. Yeah, it's an interesting question, Stephanie. Like I've just never really thought of it. I just, it was something I had to do. It's not the most pleasant experience. So I would just go and do it, but I would probably, um, you know, thinking back to it, plan something around it, like meeting a few girlfriends for a glass of wine afterwards, or, you know, having something kind of fun to do, because um, it was usually after work. And um, so, you know, just try, I, I like the idea of, you know, rewarding yourself afterwards. Um, the biggest thing for me was just booking them, like, calling and getting them booked and, you know, not putting it off. Um, that was something that was always just a challenge for me because I could find a million excuses as to why I was too busy or something else took priority. Um, and so just making sure that that was getting booked and I was committing to it, but I've, I've never really thought about what might make it more comfortable for me. It just was something that you needed to get done. I mean, there's so many different things that 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 um, they could potentially look at that sort of uh, gamification or sisterhood, yeah. that sort of reward mm -hmm. element. And rewards don't have to be monetary or anything. It can literally just be, yeah, you know, women respond really well to recognition of 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 of, of effort. Yeah. Um, so uh, some, you know, even sort of uh, rebranding. Um, things like um, you know having regular empty slots where they say, hey, you're due there's a three o'clock slot if you'd like it. Make it easy, mm -hmm. boom, reply yes. If you don't reply yes in 24 hours, we'll cancel, um, you know, um, things like that that make it easy. I think the biggest hurdle uh, at the moment is booking, knowing knowing when you're due and booking. And for young people, a message on your phone saying, um, you know, you're, you're due, we've got a three o'clock slot, um, we'll hold it for you for 24 hours, reply yes or reply no. Uh, mm -hmm. That's really easy automation, um, but it's the sort of thing that our generation um, 
responds really well to. It's that, oh, yep, awesome, thanks, mm -hmm. yeah, oh, yes, I should do it sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then like a woohoo, uh, in Australia, our blood collection service is fantastic. We've got, when you go and donate blood, there's, you get little text messages saying, your blood just went 500 miles and saved um saved a saved a life and that makes you go that's awesome and then and then it goes would you like to book to to donate your uh, this is when you're due and then you sort of go yeah so that's that that reward that well done that gamification having your blood taken for two hours also not comfortable but <laughs> my husband is completely addicted to doing it because <laughs> of that um that positive recognition of the effort mm -hmm. yeah absolutely it's interesting because um myself working in the gynae cancer space, I'm obviously very attuned to these things. So, um, you know, in BC, we're at, you know, they encourage us to go get tested when we turn 25. And I just turned 25 a couple months ago, and I got mine done, um, like a few months before turning 25, just because I'm in this space, and I know how important it is. Um, but, you know, even just having the provider be like oh like you're so on top of it like you know like you book you came so early you know that makes me feel good and that makes you more inclined to want to you know continue showing up continued booking and another thing that was really that really got me thinking as you were talking about comfort Christy is just because that um, that time that I went, I was really shocked at how well this provider was able to provide that service to me. You know, she walked through every single step and she kind of checked in with me all along the way. And to me, that was so important. And it made me feel much more comfortable getting that, uh, getting that screening procedure done. Um, and then that in turn, you know, shifts how I see pap smears in general. It's no longer something that is totally uncomfortable. You know, there are experiences that can be comfortable. So, you know, I think it's also really important to both incentivize patients to take ownership, um, but also providers can really make that into a good experience. And that will also then have so many consequential um, benefits on how patients see um, these sorts of procedures, right? Yeah, I think that's true. And for most people, this, the, the, the go slow talk through works. Um, I don't know about Nicole, but for me, I'm a get it done sort of person. Yeah. So I think even that saying, do you want me to go really slow and talk you through everything or just boom, do you want me to just get this done? So I think being open to what people need um, is, is important as well. But for the vast majority of people, somebody that's going to take the time, be gentle, explain everything uh, really, really uh I think uh, is is fantastic if most people can provide that. But again, being being attuned to to the person in front of you and how they might be feeling, um, and and just saying to them, you know, what do you need? Do you want to just get this done and then we can get on with the consult, or uh, do you want to do it at the end, or you know, how would you like to do this? Um, is a is a great question to be asking everybody that comes in for a test. I also think it's important to talk about that if something does come up in between, if something you know feels off or not right, not waiting until you're due for that next one um, and going back in and, you know, whether they give you the screening then or there, or just listen to, you know, what's going on, just having that, making sure that you're advocating for yourself and just not relying on that, you know, regular check-in status if something, you know, feels off or you're concerned about. I think that's true for all gynecological conditions. Um, I mean, this goes to PCOS, endometriosis, um, uterine cancers, all sorts of different things. Women's bodies are no longer mystical places. Um, 
you will start um, as young women to realize what's normal for you and what's not what not what's not normal what your normal cycle feels like pre mid and post if anything's abnormal when you have sex when you eat anything go and ask it's okay and if you feel like somebody's not listening to you go and find another doctor even if it's a female doctor go and find another doctor because if it doesn't feel right if you feel too bloated or too sore or anything um, go and talk to somebody because your body is really good at saying eh, this isn't normal for me um, and I think it's really important that early detection of all types of uh, cancers and and uh, endometriosis and things like that you, you see time and time again people being diagnosed in their 30s and 40s and they've suffered for way too long mm -hmm. um, and for cancer you just don't have that long yeah yeah absolutely so you obviously play a big role in this documentary um, conquering cancer why did you choose to sell, tell your story uh, as part of the documentary, uh, as well as coming to us on the podcast today? Um, so I chose to tell my story um, as this was a pretty exciting concept, this idea of one cancer being completely eliminated. It seemed almost um, unbelievable. Um, but as we move into the future, I think that it's going to become something that we think about a lot. We're going to have interventions um, to both prevent and detect cancers. And this might be the first cancer to be completely eradicated country um, by country. So my story is a great example of when all of these things come together, government programs, health literacy um, and patient motivation all come together. And I'm a really great uh, example um, to really finish this story off of what we could potentially achieve for all cancers um, if we do the research, um, if we uh, provide the interventions, the screening programs um, and the public health awareness. Um, who knows, cancer might start to become, become something that uh, you need to think about, you need to go and get your screenings done for, um, but doesn't need to be taking lives and doesn't need to be taking uh, mortality and morbidity. Yeah, there's a lot of hope, um, a lot of hope there in, um, in this space, like cervical cancer, but just in cancer in general, we talk a lot about different research that's going on um, and there's really great stuff happening. So the future of you know, where we are going and, and what that holds for those who, you know, may be at risk or, or facing a diagnosis, the outcomes for them may look drastically different from what you or I have gone through. And, and that's really exciting. Absolutely. But I think the message, um, especially for anybody that's not in the medical field or, or, or medical realm or scientific realm, I think everybody thinks there'll be a golden, uh, like a magic wave of a wand or a pill one day that will cure cancer. Cancer is not cured by by by, by one pixel. Cancer mm -hmm. is cured by um, people being educated and going and getting the intervention and testing. Um, so I think that's the most important message. There absolutely is hope, but it takes each and every single person talking about um, what cancers they're at risk at and going and getting the screening done. We absolutely can work towards a cancer-free future, but that means picking up the phone and um, checking what you do for and getting tested um, or, or getting those early interventions done. Um, so the onus is not on the scientists to come up <laughs> with the magic solution. The onus is on each and every person to, to, to take care of their own health. We're, we're gonna prevent and eliminate cancer if every single person works together to do that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, thank you for joining us today on the GOSH podcast. It was really great to have you hear your story. Um, we're 
we're really grateful for you sharing uh, and we look forward to seeing the documentary no worries thanks very much guys thanks for joining us on the gosh podcast to learn more about the gynecologic cancer initiative and our podcast make sure to check out our website at gynecancerinitiative.ca